Creative Collective Podcast, hosted by Shomari KRL. This brother and I go back a very long way, but I'll go and get to that very shortly, right? So I want to say that he is a singer. If I miss anything, make sure I'm telling you. Singer, host, actor, Soka Monarch finalist, radio announcer, entrepreneur, and president of the Trinidad and Tobago Promoters Association. Is everything correct there, right? Also engineer. Also engineer, which is something that we definitely, that is something that we really, really had to get to during the conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's the uh, also presenter too, but yeah, 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 you get most of it. Right, so, so that is why I make sure I put it all around media personality. So ladies and gentlemen, on the inside inside the Creative Collective tonight, Mr. Jerome Priscilla, a.k.a. It's Rome! It's Rome! It's Rome! My <laughs> <laughs> brother, how are you doing? Everything good? I did, Shamari. I did, man. I did, I did. I realized that today was on some stilts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Long day of shooting today. So we're actually doing a, a TV series for Digicel. It's called Rome in Carnival. Right. Um, so today we shot an episode with Nyla and, and Second Star with me kind of taking them around and showing them how to walk on stilts, that kind of thing. So right. we got the, the Carnival alive in different ways. Um, and I know you mentioned that, so we'll get back to that. Hey, what then, Sean? Big up, my brother. Big up, Sean, man. Big up, Sean. Yeah. Before, before I started any conversation tonight, and shout out to the House of CATA as well. House of CATA team is with, inside with us tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I, I like to like bounce ideas off of different people before I have these lives. And a young lady was telling me on Saturday that mm-hmm. she wanted to find out if right now Rome and Kess are in competition for the president of the Red Man Association of Trinidad. <laughs> she said, make sure, let that be a first question before you get into any seriousness. Ask Rome if he's trying to be the president of the Red Man Association because well, well, he said right now, kind of close. I have been the vice president of the Red Man Association for a while now. So um, that's all right, man. I, I guess he's the president and he's he holding on strong until the next election. Right, right, right. Well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 right. So, so, till the next election, whatever that is, Kessis continually the, the yeah, red yeah, yeah, president. Continue, continue be the president. Now, here the funny thing about about Rome and I, Jerome and I, play like Jerome and I. We are plenty in common, right? And you know, I like to put people on the spot in the show, not entirely, but I like to put them a little bit on the spot. So today, while going through some of my old archives. I come up with this photo here, brother. Of oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I remember that. And funny enough, is I took this picture, you know, and I tell myself, but all the time, Jeremiah, I try to remember if it is that you were heavily involved in entertainment in UE. You understand? And then I say to myself, we have a couple of things in common. Like one, you are mm. a St. Mary's College graduate. That's correct, right? Yeah, 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 right? My brother is a CIC alumni, so big up all the St. Mary's College people. Mm. Um, obviously, we had a real close relationship with Kenneth, um, Kenneth London, who died mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I know that Kenneth mm-hmm. was, was good with you as well. Yeah. Um, and of course, we both are university alumni. We both went to UE mm-hmm. and graduated. Mm-hmm. Almost around the same time. time. Around the same time. Mm-hmm. So the first question I want to ask you off the bat is how did you go from being the mechanical engineer to mm-hmm. Rome the artist? What was that journey like for you? It was a leap of faith, actually, because I started doing music as a child and then entering like those calypso competitions in school for the whole of primary school and then straight up in the secondary school. 
Um, I actually beat Kess in our Calypso competition. Kess went CIC with me. And oh, yes. Yeah. So, Kess so, came CIC for Form 6. And so I was in Form I, I 1. Can, I can clip this and tag him in it tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. right. Kess was a backup singer for me. Right. Give me that strength to help me to win. Kess yeah. between CIC and St. Joseph Convent. Right. And, um, Kess came and he was my backup singer. I was in form one, as I said, he was in form six, and I won that competition. So mm. I always sang Calypso, but then when I reached like around form three, my dad stepped in and he was like, Hey, what's going on? You see this soca thing and this Calypso thing? Yeah, CXC coming up. So form four and five, he didn't allow me to enter into any competitions. Right. And from then, it went into um, A levels and then into university. So it kind of stopped my entertainment career, kind of stopped then. And how I got back into entertainment really was through an ad that was on the radio for TV hosts for a show called Party Time. Remember when you said Party Time? Yes, yes, yes. So and, and for anybody internationally that, that is not aware of what Party Time is, that was actually one of the most popular shows back in the day um, that used to show on Saturdays or something like that. It was a real youth-oriented show. Yeah. Um, dancing, singing, etc., etc. Yeah. Mm. So they brought back Party Time as Party Flavor and they were looking for hosts, for TV right. hosts. Right. I was in university at the point that my member, my brother was like, boy, go on up, go on apply, now, boy, go on apply. And I went for the audition and I made it. So I was one of the TV hosts, it was me, Hans Devines, uh, Whitney Husbands, and a couple others too. And that's how I got my break in entertainment. I was also on Synergy Supermodel. I was the first person to get sent home. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I kind of kept entertainment alive while being an engineer at UENA. Right. So then I became an, a, a real qualified engineer now. Um, I got a job at Petrotrin. And um, while at Petrotrin, I started to sing Parang. Right. And then I started to sing the Parang and do the soca as well. But the Parang started to pick up. Right. And the posting started to pick up. And I reached right. a crossroad in my career where I couldn't only do the, the, the entertainment on weekends alone because it started to overlap during the week. I was getting gigs. And then I started to get international gigs. And I was starting to travel a lot more and I didn't have enough vacation at the point in time to take up all the gigs. So I had to give up some of the gigs in order to work. Right. So Petrotrin comes and closed down now. And I have a decision to make. At the point in time, I was actually a head of a department in Petrotrin. Eh? So I worked myself my way up from a mechanical engineer. I, I got a scholarship to do my master's in engineering asset management. M worked my way up to head of the department. Right. And um, I mean, as engineering, so yeah, the salary is nice. Right. And I have a decision to make. Do I go back into oil and gas, into engineering, or do I try to do entertainment? Right. And I took that leap of faith and decided, you know what, boy? I don't think I can reach my full potential in entertainment if I'm doing it part-time. I will only get part-time results. So right. let me give this entertainment thing a full-time chance. Right. And Mari boy, I just took that leap of faith and jumped into entertainment full-time, and um fortunately within a couple months i got a call from vh1 right 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 so that was my transition from being an engineer into being a full-time entertainer into room one of the things that i like to ask guys especially in your position because again you're a mechanical engineer um <laughs> just for anybody that has no idea what a mechanical engineer does just give them a general synopsis of what exactly your your, your job was because again people hear engineer and it's like where well, he's an engineer but they really understand like what, what, what do they do? for right. some people that may not know yeah 
So I, for the, if you're a mechanical engineer, you can go into any different field in all different sectors. But for me, um, the main thing I was was some called a reliability engineer. So right. I can be able to tell you what is wrong with a pump, a motor, a compressor, anything like that by doing something called vibration analysis. So we'll take right. these instruments and put it on the machine and you will get a vibration signature. And then now I can read that signature and tell you what is wrong with the machine, whether the bearings need changing. I could do an oil sample and tell you your oil needs changing. I could see cuttings in the oil. I could see what is wrong with the machine just from the oil and from the vibration signature and tell you it's time to change all this, time to bring on the machine and do repairs. So it was a lot of more maintenance work that we were doing on the machine. And I specialize in some called preventative maintenance, where you do maintenance before the machine fails. Just right. like a car, like how you will change out where you do your service every 5,000K. Yeah. Right. So we would do that and I would do uh, maintenance schedules for all the equipment in the refinery. But then it, it then goes to say that you, as somebody for a very long time, would have to pay a particular level of attention to detail. Um, do you think that that um, focus is something that has helped you within your career thus far in entertainment? I definitely, I, well, Shout out to my perception management team, but they always say I am difficult to deal with because I am so specific and particular when it comes to anything. Like right. if we're doing a parang with room show or we're doing soca monarch or anything like that, I would plan out every, or a music video. I would have everything written down step by step. What are the things we need going forward? Have a full checklist, have a full call sheet. Everything must be in place for that to take place. And yeah. I, I know that in the industry right now, um, a lot of people in Trinidad and Tobago, you just go on the fly. Uh, you don't do much planning. But because I have an engineering background, we take particular interest in the nitty-gritty, the small stuff. Because uh, Murphy's Law, what will go wrong, will go wrong. What can go wrong, will go wrong. Go wrong. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I always like to ask the question of the fight or flight. Um, for me, um, the fight or flight to entertainment was kind of tricky because obviously I started working at 96.1 and then different things happen so i had to go back into the working world so it's been a balance for me mm -hmm. but you made that decision that yo um i don't think i can live up to my full potential um unless it is a give this 110 percent and probably just leave that 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 safety net of being an engineer behind um a lot of people when they tune into this program they, they're really interested in figuring out like for guys like you who have that professional experience and just decided, yeah, well, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be its room full time, right? right. Um, they always want to like, what is the, the the one thing if there was one thing that happened where you made that decision, or what was the decisive um, factor that 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 pushed you to make the decision that you did? Was there any particular incident or influence that came to you at a particular point in time that made you make the decision of following this full time? It was a lead up of events because before Petrotrin closed down, like the year before, music, it would wake me up on a morning. It would be something, and entertainment on the whole. It would be something where every morning I get up, I'm thinking about my entertainment career. I'm thinking about what song I'm going to do next. What, what is this I'm going to do in entertainment? And it wasn't that engineering was waking me up on a morning. And when I realized here now, but if every morning I'm thinking about this thing, something had to give i had it i had to follow my heart so then i developed this this saying follow your heart but take your brain with you so right. it was where 
my heart and a lot of people could relate to this i'm sure where you where you would say is your gut feeling your instinct telling you to do something and to to go in a certain direction but your brain thinking logically and thinking you know you're leaving an engineering salary to really go and sing parang boy we are really doing so yeah, yeah. you're torn between a logical decision and a decision of faith right and sometimes you really jamari you really just had to take that lead. so what i did was i gave myself a two-year timeline which ended in december last year i right. told myself give entertainment a full shot for two years because what will happen to you is if i don't do this when i turn into an old man i will always look back and say, and regret. Oh, and regret it and say i wonder if i had only follow entertainment if i could have be the next denzel washington or the next whatever so i said you know what boy do it do it for two years and see how it worked out. And Shomari, I mean, I wouldn't reveal the financials in the particulars, but when I had to follow my heart and take my brain with me, I ended up making more money as Rome versus an, an engineer. Right. So it was really a leap of faith that paid off in the end. But, but the, the funny thing about it is that you are kind of like the exception to the rule if you want to pray like that because there are so many other people out there i know in creative industries and not even not even creative industries just have their passion and the challenge is do they make that decision i have this conversation a lot of times with um dj sly who is in the conversation tonight i've had it with dj adam as well too just that decision of of making up your mind and 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 and, and really actually pushing towards this desire that you have and leaving a safety net or security behind. Um, what do you think has been the the main thing that has allowed you to be as successful as you've been so far? So one of the main things for me is financial literacy. So I always advise every entertainer to make sure that you're financially literate. And not only entertainers, but everyone, make sure that you're financially literate. Because you thinking, and a lot of people will think a safety net is having a safe, secure job where you go to work eight to four, and then you go home with a pension at the end of 60, at the, when you turn 60. Right. But for me, when you have financial literacy, you will know that you need to diversify your portfolio in terms of your income. So I have right. multiple income streams. So even if one shuts down, I have another to pick up on. Not only that, is that I learned to invest my money wisely. So I would take my money and I have investments in, in real estate, in business, in the stock market, in, in um, Bitcoin. So I have a, a wide portfolio of investments and um income that could give me that new safety net yeah yeah do, do you think do you think that is a, a issue that has been in entertainment that we have not been able to address and i say that because in the last year especially in 2020 we would have heard the plight of so many creatives um from the dj world to the entertainer um and then we would have seen a couple of artists who would have gotten sick and there would have been calls to support them financially which is great i have no problems with that but a part of the bigger discussion is how do we now start to look at the financial literacy on a broader scale? Because as you rightfully said, you've been able to diversify what you're doing. And it's so funny, I apologize, because at the beginning of this discussion, I told myself I would say something about you. And at the end of the discussion, I would tie it back to that one statement. <laughs> the diversification of Jerome is the biggest asset to being the personality known as Rome. That is why I wrote down today. Right, right, right. Because you have found yourself in certain areas that, generally speaking, people don't, don't venture into, you know. And and I think I'll come back to that in a minute. But 
do you think it's a problem or are you seeing people now trying to financially um, figure out ways now to be able to diversify themselves outside of entertainment? Is that something that you're seeing or is something that we need more of in the industry? I think it's, it's something that we need more of in the industry because um, COVID hit, this pandemic hit, and it was a shakeup for everyone in the entertainment industry. So if you put all your eggs in the entertainment basket alone, you basically were screwed from this. So now, of, of all times, should be the wake-up call to, to say, yo, because if you're an artist and you lose your voice, what are you going to do? You can't go and sing. Right. So you need to have something, some other means of generating income. You know who does it? Well, too, Famanapi. Famanapi told me this a long time ago. He said, boy, I might not win so come on. You know how much times I place and I take that money and I invest it in real estate or I invest it in some apartments and it generating an income for him, even in a troubling time like this. So I would always recommend to people one book that changed my life when it comes to financial literacy, right? A basic book. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Now, I don't own any rights to the book and I make no money from recommending the book. <laughs> but it's a book that changed my life when it comes to financial literacy. So I always recommend it to anyone in the entertainment industry or anyone on the whole. I think it's a book or a book similar like that should be on the book list for schools. Yeah. Because that's the problem in our school system. They teach you how to go to school, get an education, go and work for someone, but they don't teach you how to be financially literate. So I think that should be implemented in our schools. And, and even with that, one of the biggest things I think that we lack across the board in Trinidad and Tobago is mentorship for people. Mm. And that is a discussion I have with multiple different entertainers and creatives, like who was your mentor? Who was the guy that showed you how the ropes with certain things? And everybody literally says, well, I kind of figure it out on my own, which I think is a problem that comes back to why sometimes financial literacy is challenging for people. Um, because we see the image of what an entertainer is supposed to look like, mm -hmm. but we don't understand that for the $10,000 shoes that you buy, that's only going to be fashionable for a week or a month. Right, and then right. you still have to pay rent or you still have to be able to invest in a business or whatever, whatnot. Right. You know? um, but that being the case, do you have yourself, have you had mentors in this point in time, during the point in time that you've been in entertainment and before that? I have. Men, I have had mentors in terms of business, but never in entertainment. And I always felt as though we lacked that. And I brought this up in a, in a meeting when we had us. I'll never forget this day, boy. And the first time I ever entered Suka Monarch. And Suka Monarch had this meeting with all of the artists. And I'm talking, I don't want to call their names, but some of the top Suka artists in the country were present at that meeting. Right. And I stood up as a young boy who nobody knew at the point in time, entering Suka Monarch for the first time. And I said that, I was disappointed in the soccer industry because I watch the dancehall industry and I watch the hip-hop industry and some of those artists bring younger artists under their wing and give them a, a, a showcase and groom them to be the other artists. I mean, like Justin Bieber, I think it was Usher who, who broke Justin yeah. Bieber to give him his big break. And then you would see Drake bringing up other, other artists. Like he had popcorn under him and... They give they give people a break. Even in dancehall too, you will see Billy Man bringing out someone, a bounty killer bringing up someone. Everyone always has somebody in their camp who they bring up. But in the soccer world, you hardly ever see that. So sure. I feel as though in the soccer world, you should be bringing up the young artists. And you know what? Some of those big artists, one artist jumped up and said, um, why should I bring another artist, a young boy, to come and eat my food? Hmm. And then another artist said that... Um, he was in the business for many years and he had to fight and struggle against older Calypsonians 
to make it where he made it. And the younger ones want it too easy. And we don't think as though we should be doing enough. He doesn't think that we're doing enough work to make it on our own. And we're waiting for somebody to give us like a help out now. Right. But I'm not saying that the younger people shouldn't put in the work, but I'm just saying that it is always easier for the industry to move forward if the older ones could share some of their knowledge with the younger ones and help to bring them up. But it seems as though it's a very competitive industry where everyone feels there are a limited number of gigs for carnival. So you want to get a big song and get all the gigs and you don't want to show the younger one coming up the part because if he has a big song or bigger than yours, then he wouldn't be, he would be the man and you would get less gigs. Yeah. yeah. In the dancehall world, it's not like that. And in the hip hop world, it's not like that. There's a space for everyone. But in the soca world, it seems to be like limited spaces and everyone is fighting for those spaces. I, I, it's so funny, raise that as a good segue to what I was going to ask you next. Because now we're going through diversification at Jerome here, right? Mm. So, soccer is one thing, but to me, and this is that's my personal thing. So, this is not Jerome thing. This is not mm. even my thing here, right? I, Shamari, have never been a fan of para, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've never been a fan. I make no qualms about it. I see Adam here, um, DJ Sly here, anybody, anyone I can tell you, Shamari was never on para. Right? right, and part of the reason for that is because I just find it was the same artists and the same songs that we have re hearing every single year. There's one scrunter CD, if you want to call it that, no, a scrunter album, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. That plays like you could go in a store and go and pull it out at December 1st and stop playing it at the end of December, and it's going to be like that every year. That's right. the one, all the scrunt. I wake up Christmas morning, all the songs on that list. Right, and then there's a lot of older people in Parang. Mm -hmm. You know, managed to be able to bridge a gap by actually being a fresh face onto the Parang scene. You understand? Mm -hmm. Because now here's a guy who I could see myself in uh, around my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, depending on your age, mm -hmm. and you're actually singing songs that are trendy and giving the feeling that Parang is not just for the 50 year old and the 60 year old or whatever whatnot mm. was was is, is it that you decided um from the the success of your first parang track that it was something that you saw traction going into or was it that you always wanted to see yourself in the position of singing parang keep keep in mind again already not on parang <laughs> now but because because of, of of i will openly admit that because of so many tracks that you have done my ears have reopened a little bit now. And I'm not saying that just as, as we say, gassing you up. Right, right, right. I'll be really honest. So right. is it that Parang was always part of the plan or is it that something that you just developed into? My Parang was never part of the plan. I always wanted to do soca. I never would even dream about singing a Parang at all. And um, I was trying the soca thing. I started off and I did two soca tracks. And Mevon Sudi, my producer. Big up explicit. Yeah, shouts the explicit Mevon. He sent me a parang rhythm with Mark Hardy and, and Young Rod and they on it. And it was just of a wildness and kicks those fellas did that parang rhythm. Right. He sent me the first year and I was like, eh, parang boy, eh, I ain't really feeling it. I ain't feeling this rhythm. Right. So then I didn't study it. The next year now, he sent me up another parang rhythm. And I really liked the rhythm itself and the music on it. And right. I remember the feeling, it, it brought me back to the feeling I got when I was growing up as a child, having all these chores to do for Christmas. And I hated doing all those chores. Right. But the only thing that kept me going was when I put on the music and I was hearing Sukaparang playing. 
and I would listen to it, especially the Spang Along. I love that Spang Along, recipe Spang Along, with the roti and the peanut butter yeah. and the flick. And I found it the comedy in that. I would laugh and I would be scrubbing my wall or painting or cleaning windows and the time would pass by listening to the music. So I decided to write something on it um, using my humor as because everybody know I on wildness and on kicks most of the time, right? right. So I decided to put pen to paper and bring out my personality in the song. And the yeah. song was well received. So then now other producers started sending rhythms and I started writing and then I realized, but well, wait now, people liking these type of songs in terms of parang and then catching the next thing i noticed with the parang i was like but unlike soka parang doesn't have an expiry date because soka hits the reset button come september the next year Correct. so you drop your tune and then come september nobody else in that song again you have to start fresh why with parang you drop your parang and for the next 40 years 40 years <laughs> How much time Scrunker will give me I wake up Christmas morning? How much? How much time I go hear the Christmas for them? How much will I go on? Yeah, so for the next 40 years, you can sing the same thing and it's not going to die. It's going to even get more and more popular as the years go by. Cool. So I now this thing has something in it that catch a niche here. So I, that's how I end up in that, that parang thing. <laughs> but it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. I, that was a people parang chose me. I didn't choose parang. Yeah, well, again, it's diversification of business based on opportunity. Right. That's why I look at it. Um, is there any um, initiative or idea that outside of Param that you probably were very hesitant on doing? And you know, you, you have your one or two friends and people in your, in your circle, your tight circle, like, yo, Roma, feel I should do this, I should do that. And you're like, nah, I ain't really feeling that too. And then after you actually put yourself to do it, and now you've seen it ex explode successfully after that? Mm. Um, I would say that would have to be my first, uh, one of my first business ideas, my baby, quick size pizza. Right. When um, a, a lot of people doubted it, and then a couple of friends were like, boy, do it. And then I had a lot of people saying, you don't know nothing about cooking. You don't know, you can't even boil egg. And you're going to open a pizza restaurant, and I just did it. I put my head down, buy about all the books that I could on on restaurants and on on pizzerias and on on business management, and the thing took off. I mean, it, it blew up. I'm sure you would have known of, of quick size pizza on our pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just see somebody up in the early chat just now was asking for a quick slice a while ago. So. so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was something that um, that I didn't think of, of doing before, and I, I'm glad that I did it because I learned so much from from opening that business. But but you you still run Quick Slice now? Absolutely, absolutely business itself. Because I reached a point where I couldn't manage everything. Right. I was, at the point in time, I was still an engineer doing the entertainment and doing the Quick Slice, and it's it take a tool on my personal life. So right. even my girlfriend at the time. I didn't get to spend much time with her because every time I reach home, I, I just knock out. I used to go work from Petrotrim from seven to four and then go in the studio and then head back to Quick Slice until 12 in the night and then get up at 5 a.m. So my days were always like that. And Quick Slice opened till six in the morning on a weekend too. So it was always, the food business is a very labor intensive one. Yeah. If you don't have the proper management, you're going to be caught there a lot of your time. So I, I, I always like, and that is one of the things that for me is a real joy of doing the Creative Collective podcast because I think 
there are sometimes people see individuals in a public limelight and feel well them real get through mm. because of whatever it is now like he now come on the scene or you know he get through because he read like kiss or something <laughs> like that now but at the same point in time you just identified that your hours were in, in the toiling stages your hours were extremely long so what what was your what were your hours like on a typical week in terms of working uh music etc 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 did you sleep at all how, how was that process i still have bags under my eye from those days <laughs> I still had bags under my eyes from that. Um, as I said, the, the time period was 7 a.m. I had to get up at 5 a.m. Because um, at Petroton, you have to reach for 7 a.m. And then work until 4 p.m. Sometimes you have to work overtime based on the project. So sometimes you finish work 7 p.m. as well. Then yeah. I would have to go to Quick Slice, because Quick Slice really be open until 12. Go to Quick Slice and be there with the staff any formative stages straight up until 12 and then go to bed and then come back up for five um and then i have to squeeze in studio time there too so i'll never forget to i'm sure my phone won't forget this either we are in the studio and i recorded and in between the recording i had to answer the phone because the staff calling they run out of cheese and i had to be calling them like oh you can run out of cheese and it, i never recorded it on the microphone because he never saw that side of me being upset for things like that and it was it was difficult it was difficult because i had to juggle the hosting the singing the business and the, the eight or four that i had yeah yeah I, I think another thing as well too is that people look at individuals and entertainment sometimes in a very one-dimensional way and for you to be able to be a wedding host which is something a totally different topic to mm. be a wedding host to be a tv host to be a radio personality um, to be somebody who was doing events, um, somebody who was singing songs and trying to put out songs for a season, whether it be carnival or whatever, it takes a particular level of mental preparation. Um, what for you goes into that mental preparation to do all that at the same point in time? Well, back in those days, I realized that time management is really important. So that is in terms, that's how I prepare myself mentally. Every Sunday, I will sit and plan my week for the whole week. And I have a I move like a railroad man. I have a, a daily planner, and I have to write down everything. So I, on a Sunday, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Like, so uh, in preparation for our conversation, I saw an old interview you did for OMG magazine. I think it was, and you were talking about this daily planner, which I was to write down. Now, now yeah. my daily planner right now is literally this. So I yeah. literally this. let me show you. Let me bring my. So let's see, and right now, Rome is actually going to bring his daily planner here. And you, will I, see, you will see, look, I have a daily planner, and you will see everything is written down during the week for the Sunday. I'll write down everything I've accomplished for the week. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's how it go. So I have right. this interview that we're doing here now written right there on the Tuesday, Shamari interview. You will see it here. Right. right, right, right. Everything right. must be written down. Otherwise, I wouldn't manage my time wisely. And in that, though, Shamari, is that I would split up my time in order to have a personal life too. So in my daily planner, I always block off time to, and you would see it written, take a drink with the boys, go on a date. Um, on a date, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I'm dating somebody at the time, it would be like, go movies with whoever I'm going with. Um, I have church, because I'm still very spiritual. Church on a Sunday, church. Whether I go or whether I watch it on TV, church Sunday morning. I would have spent time with family. I would have everything would be blocked out to make sure that work doesn't consume my life because i was at a point in my life where work was everything and now with planning everything 
I'll be able to have balance in my life. That's that's powerful. Yeah. I, I said that's powerful because even to this point, I still struggle with it. Um, because last night I slept like three hours, and um, this morning I'm telling my trainer um, at the gym that for me my brain is trying to process all the different things that I have to do. Even though I might have scheduled it for the week or planned mm. it for the week, I still thinking of what I could do better on something that I'm doing already. Even this conversation, because yeah, I may know you, but what I want is for people to, really, to be able to understand who you are as a genuine person and not just a personality you'll see on stage. Yeah, so I, I and think of, you know, what could I discuss with him that would be different from the normal discussion that people wouldn't really look at just like that. Um, and I don't know if it is that you run into that problem where obviously you're, you're scheduling up different things for the week. So you're going from one task to the next, next to the next. Mm. How is it then that you don't manage to shut down your brain from running out and saying, um, you know, give me the phone, honey, and then you're going to go and do this and go on a date with whoever. How, how is it that you are able to shut down your brain from one task to the next? It's, it's all about discipline all about discipline so i, I kind of program my mind using willpower and focus that these are the tasks i need to do for the day and once it's on that list if i do accomplish it for the day i feel a how so i would kind of pack my week between monday to wednesday and try to leave tuesday and friday free so that anything from monday tuesday or wednesday that i don't accomplish can spill over into tuesday and friday Right, right. I not to put too many items per day because it also takes a toll on your mentally. When you don't accomplish those tasks, you feel as though you're, you're a disappointment to yourself. So yeah. all of those things, you have to kind of have a lot of self-discipline and willpower to get up and do what is on your list, but also not stress out yourself. So I will know that by this time now, I already winding down because I don't want to work right up. I'm a bedtime is 10 o'clock. So I know yeah. I have to go and sleep because I'm ready to get up at 5, 4. So all of those things is, is take a lot of self-discipline. Because it's it easy as an entertainer to work till we hours in the morning. Yeah. You don't put those boundaries in place. You will run your blood thin. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I made sure and, and brought up this point because, again, we're trying to use this platform to teach other people and to help other people through the challenges. Um, and I know there are individuals who tuned in tonight that are doing multiple millions of things. Mm. But it is challenging for them to do exactly what you just said. And I look at that as like a militant mindset now that, mm. yo, I have 10 things I want to do between now and Friday. But I think sometimes as workaholics, mm. we don't see recreation and we don't see taking that time for yourself to kind of reprogram or, or, or center yourself as an important element of your job. We don't see that as that. We just think like, you know, well, I don't do this and make money, do that and make money and do the other and make money. But actually having time to sit down and relax yourself and focus on the other important things in your life and the things that might not be that important, but you just need that break. is yeah. really important to keep in balance. Yeah, look, I have I have three shoots this week. I have a TV shoot that I just did today. I have another shoot on Friday and I have a music video to shoot on Saturday. But I have in my daily planner to go on the beach Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have it right there written after radio and up on the beach. Whether yeah. it's by myself or whether I have company, I go in and just yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's also important, just to close off on this, that you write down everything. Because mm -hmm. I, I did see, I remember reading somewhere where they were saying that scientists actually say that when you write stuff, um, it goes better to memory than when you type it actually on a phone or when it is, you, you try to just remember it off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something I've been trying to pick up 
I have not been able to properly do it as yet, but at the same point in time, I agree that it's 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 really important for you to keep your life on balance. Um, let me jump quickly to COVID-19. Right. Uh, last year was a real challenging year for everybody. I was basically asking the same question I asked Voice last week. Um, was 2020, with everything that was going on, um, the global pandemic, uh, election season, um, different issues going on about the world, um, and of course the financial challenges that would come from being in a year of a shutdown. Because remember, you know full-time everything, right? Was COVID-19, or I should say 2020, um, the most challenging year for you in your career so far, or was there a year that you think was more challenging that you could look back at if you're willing to share share what happened at that point in time? Boy, um, 2020 was, I would say, a game changer for me because right. it was a year where I had to prove to myself that I could be resilient no matter what was thrown at me. Right. So there was a point when the pandemic first hit and i was just like everybody else thinking what are we to do and then how long is this thing going to last and i was just confused so i was in a, a bit of a rut at first so right. even when, when my producer met one message and he's like yo parang season coming up what are we doing i wasn't in that frame of mind to like go into the studio and write any music or anything like that. i just wasn't i just wasn't there creatively now. and um it just took one morning i woke up and i was like judge shake this off because this pandemic isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I remember reading a book long ago called Who Moved My Cheese? And mm. the book was about change, where the rats are custom going and get a cheese. You know, you have this maze all the time and they, they drop the cheese and the rat is fine, the cheese through the maze. And yeah. they stopped putting the cheese in the same spot all the time. And one rat kept on going all the time and the cheese was never there. And the other rat realized that the cheese moved and he moved to another place looking for it and found it. So with me now, I was like, listen, my cheese has moved. I can't make the money that I are custom making in terms of um, entertainment. I need to look for it somewhere else. And that's when I made a total, I had a total paradigm shift and switched everything into digital. And right. then saw huge success with that. So a lot of companies started reaching out and asking for digital campaigns because that's where the platform was. So I right. did a, a, a big digital campaign for Digicel for the CPL. And that was a huge hit. So they just loved that content. They got a lot of traction from it. And then from that, things started to roll. I had other companies reaching out. They want a digital campaign for their marketing strategy. And then I was like, okay, I can't sing Parang physically. What about virtually? I put on my Parang with Room concert and I got the backing of Corporate Trinidad and Tobago. And it was a huge success. So, I mean, 2020 was a hard year, yeah, but it made me realize that once you put your mind to something and you decide that you are going to fight, you're going to overcome it. Yeah. You just have to be disciplined and you just have to have the willpower to do it. And I did it. Yeah, yeah. But it was tough. I would, I wouldn't lie. It was tough. It was tough mentally to be able to put yourself in that zone, to be able to achieve anything in that point in time. Because as an entertainer, boy, we still had no clue when a vaccine was coming, when things will open up. And right now, still, we still have no clue. even know. We, because and I was having this conversation again with DJ Adam up to yesterday that mm -hmm. after Carnival, um, I generally travel extensively for July, August. Mm -hmm. St. Carnival, St. Lucia Carnival, Crop Over. Um, there are some things I, I would do in New York, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like COVID has not just taken away a financial revenue stream, 
but it's also taken away a part of my life that is so connected to meeting people and interacting with people. And that in itself has affected in many ways the motivation, even when it comes to music. So mm -hmm. now I actually, I learn from these conversations just like how everybody else within the chat learning from it. I learn from it because even talking to guys like yourself, I am able to see how you guys connect the dots even in challenges because and I always bring up that point because when people look at your social media, mm. everybody will feel that Rome life perfect now, like Rome blending. <laughs> that but the truth and fact is like everybody else going through what you went through last year, there would be times when you would have serious doubts about everything. Was there a point in time when you thought that I probably should go back to, to, to engineering? And if I <laughs> to my right was off my resume, what you mean? <laughs> I was there. I picked up the phone and started calling engineering friends and let them know that I'm coming back because this COVID thing is serious. And not only COVID, it was I reached a point in my in my career to where I was doubting, is this really what I want? Is wow. this because remember I, I told you all I had a, a two-year milestone which ended in November, December. Correct. So I have to make a decision now, my two years up. What am I going to do? Go back or stay? And I did that. Dust off the resume, and I was thinking of going back. Right. And I had to pull myself back and say, no. You you are now your career is now taking off, and you're going to go backward, go full hundred, and yeah. see where this thing goes. You never know where it will go. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. You took the leap of faith. Go with it. It's, it's, it is financially feasible and not only financially feasible, but it is something that I love. That shoot I did today with Second Star and Nyla, where we were walking on stilts. I came home with a big smile on my face, being able, it was long hours and was hard, but being able to do something I love. Right. It will never, people always say when you're doing something I love, it wouldn't feel like work. Yes, it's work, it's long hours, it would feel tired, it's work, but it is something that I could creatively develop and something that I have a passion for. So I do have that, and I see you um, Sean putting uncertainty and fear and doubt. I do have that uncertainty. I do have that fear, and I do doubt myself sometimes. But sometimes you just have to listen to your gut, listen to your heart, and just go with it. And that's why I, did, and that's why I decided to stay in entertainment. It, it, and it's so funny you say that because there are those out there that would share that same thought that, you know, this is why I love, this is what brings me joy. Um, but given everything that's happening, I just don't know if it is I could continue in doing that. And I, and, I, and I say that because not everybody is room. And I'm not even saying that to be on a bad or shed your bad lights on you. Because if it's one thing I think everybody now has learned from this conversation is that you're very detailed in your thinking. And that is one thing I want to hit home to people that in all the things that you do in life, you have to have a very systematic approach to it. So you actually write down stuff. You try to plan out your life as much as possible. Um, things for you not vikey vike, right? Mm -hmm. um, at the same point in time, if something happens that it's spontaneous, um, it still kind of flows with the way that you set your life forward now, right? right? But I think the challenge is always going to be like for individuals out there who probably want to have that same mindset, but the finances and looking to write or to have responsibilities to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do they then go about making that kind of decision like what you would have made? 
So that's why when I when I made that slogan, um, follow your heart, but take your brain with you. That's where the brain comes in because you don't want to be following your heart, and then you have to eat conflicts with the rest of your life. <laughs> you have to make sure that whatever your, your dream is or whatever your passion is is making enough money that we could survive, and not only you could survive, but that you could feed your family and live a comfortable life. So that's why you have to be very careful, and that's why when I advise people about choosing a career path, that I don't give them just this fairy tale story of my thing is so good and no you have to make sure that whatever you're doing it is generating enough income that you could it could support yourself and what i would always advise people to do is to follow your passion on the side until your passion is making enough money that it could mine you and when your passion making enough money that it could mine you then you could leave your government work or then you could leave your, your stable job i will never advise a young person or anybody for that matter of fact to leave a stable job where you're minding your family to go and jump and take this leap of faith into to entertainment or into your passion just like that I, this is just my personal advice eh? everybody else can give you what advice they want but for me Dred, i will tell everybody hold on a job pay your bills follow your dream on the side make yeah. sure when you follow your dream and making enough money and then you'll reach a crossroad where all right I'm making enough money here. I can leave this and go this way and mind myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we inside the Creative Collective podcast. We have room with us. I see everybody with the comments to decide. Um, just in case you guys don't know if it is that you're on YouTube or on Facebook, if you have any comments to make, you can post it in the comment section of the platform and we'll see it here. I want to get to two more things quickly before we get to the Trent Tobago Promoters Association, mm -hmm. which I realize when it comes down to events in Trent Tobago is a very nebulous issue right now. So that's something I really want to get into seriously. Um, <clears throat> do you think that your you being on the VH1 program um, in terms of girls trip, has that been probably the highlight of your career so far? And if it is like, let me say tomorrow, um, you were to decide, okay, that's a wrap for its room. Let me go back to being the engineer or whatever. whatnot. Right. Would that have been the highlight to your career to say that you did everything that you possibly wanted to do? I, I think so. So far in my career, that was definitely my highlight because to me, that was a huge accomplishment not only for me, but for Trinidad and Tobago. We have not had much people from our country that appeared on American television in such a big way. Correct. I mean, we had people who were born here, but then they move and spend most of their life here. But I would consider myself a son of the soil, somebody who born and bred here. And you saw that I was there on VH1. The only other person that did something like that to me was Anya Youngchi when she was on Project Runway. So right. for me, it was a, a big deal. And not only that, just appearing on American TV, but I'm appearing on American TV alongside Grammy Award-winning artists like Lil' Kim, Maya, and Chili, who I grew up listening to their music. So that definitely was a, a big highlight for me. And I always look back at it and say, boy, if I didn't make that leap of faith and leave engineering, I would have never been able to take up that opportunity. Because yeah. those people called Shamari, let's say they called Wednesday, and my Friday I was on a plane to New York. And and so so was there an audition process for that program and like how how and I ask this question again because there is a difference between how people do things professionally in, on an international level and sometimes how we doing things here now. so in Trinidad it might be like well yeah I know he he can come and do a thing he come and la, 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 la. but that is not what you're dealing with with network tv that has investors who invest in millions and billions of us dollars mm -hmm. in our program 
So obviously now, yes, you have to be Rome as that personality, but you have to approach it with a particular level of tact that will be different from Trinidad, correct? So let me give you all the, the process of these things because I learned it by getting onto the show. There are right. certain shows where they have casting calls, where they ask you to submit a video and for you to do an audition. So a lot of uh, reality TV shows do that. There are websites, there are groups you can join and be a reality TV actor. For this one, though, um, I did not apply. I did not audition. I really just got a call from my management saying, expect a call from a, a US television um, agent. They can't give full details, but just take the call. And it's a WhatsApp video call. And when I spoke to the girl, so they have these scouts who go out and look for talent. So it wasn't even the production company. It was something that they outsourced. And she spoke to me and she said, well, she got my contact from a guy in Trinidad um, who actually turned out to be a friend of mine, Amari. And what happened was VH1 decided to shoot this show in, in Trinidad and Tobago. And they, don't, they didn't know much people down here. So they went on a Google and they looked for people and they looked for um, a concierge service. So it turns out that Amari, who had the concierge service, they contacted him and they asked him to recommend a couple of people who will fit the role of like a, a tour guide of the country. So he yeah. recommended me and a couple other people. And then they had to call us, video call, and do like an over the phone interview. And when yeah. he called me, I felt like it was a black coach interview, but you know. <laughs> She, um, one of our first questions was, do you have abs? <laughs> what? 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 Yes, on. I was like, but what kind of show this is, right? <laughs> she was like, do you have abs? I was like, yeah. She was like, can I see them? Oh, like, my God. She was <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, can I see them? So I was like, all right, cool. So I had to take off my shirt and show up. Yeah. Like, she just wanted me to raise it up. I raised it up. I show her, right, I have abs. She was like, all right, cool. And then she went on and then she said, we heard of Trinidad and Tobago's carnival, but we don't know much about it. Tell me, a foreigner, about your carnival. Go. And that was it. And when I finished telling her about Trinidad and Tobago's carnival, she was like, I have never heard anyone make me want to jump on a plane immediately and go anywhere. She was mm -hmm. like, you made me want to feel, you made me feel as though I need to buy a ticket now and come to Trinidad's carnival. We definitely want you on this show. Right. And that was how I got the job, by selling Trinidad's Carnival to a foreigner who never experienced it before. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. I want to I put you in a, in a spot with that same, that same point that's made. So, as everybody heard, when Rome was in the interview, it's like, yeah, let me see your abs now. <laughs> Stand, mm. Say, up and pull up t-shirts and whatever. But outside of that, um, how invested are you in your image? Because at the end of the day, you are you are your image. You are your brand, right? right? right. Um, so for me, I, one could say I'm Shamari KRL, yes, but I'm also Ready Mix DMT. So as much as the Shamari personality is one side of it, as a DJ, I have a brand to go with that, right? But you have yourself, Rome, you are Rome. Um, how much detail do you put into your image um, and do you think that to some extent that has helped you in terms of getting the kind of jobs that you would have, that you probably have gotten thus far? Right. Good question. Um, I, I put myself in more of the corporate image because I realize 
that in a lot of the hosting jobs, the corporate world is where you could really make a lot of money. It's true, right. the corporate world. So right. because of that now, I try to keep my, my, my Instagram or my Facebook or all of the things that I post and my image on the whole as a very clean cut one because of corporate turnout and delivery. Right. And so if you go onto my profile, you would rarely see anything vulgar or would you see any profanities? So I will never curse on my profiles. I will never say something vulgar or I will never say, I will never make a political statement either because my image has to be one where it's clean cut, where corporate Trinidad and Tobago will be able to accept this person to represent their brand because corporate do play. You can't come out and be doing certain things and then you want to represent a, a bank or you want yeah. to represent a restaurant or something that is family oriented. So I'm very, very particular with my image. So, I, I mean, I'm not a saint. I, I love to go out and have a good time, but I'm very, very careful when I go out in public and what I would do and what I would see to right. keep my image. Now, in terms of my physical image and my body now, I also had to keep myself in check because right. I also have an image where, yes, I'm Rome and I do have a lot of female fans. So I had to be careful in, in my physical image that I have to be in the gym all the time. And that's reality. Right? <laughs> do, you, do you find that challenging? Like, is, is there a time when you just want to sit and say, boy, I just want to sit on a pizza whole day and drink something and <laughs> just relax myself? But I, I really militant to that since in school days because I was a sports, sports person. I always used to play football. So I always grew up physical. Always yeah. playing football, always going training, and always going to the gym because I would be playing football. And then from that into UE, I would play football again. And then in Petrogen, I played football. So I always was a gym person, yeah. always a, a fitness person. Yeah. In terms of what I eat, I real funny with that in that I eat the same thing all the time. I eat four, break, four eggs for breakfast. I would eat the same lunch and the same dinner, half a chicken with, with um, tomato and cucumber for, for dinner every single night all the time. And I do bother me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of me. Um, to this day, I just have the the for breakfast. Ninety percent of the time, it would be those Quaker oats packets, it right. would be that, and um raisins and a, and an omelet. And I've been eating that for like ten years now. Yeah, like, yeah. And I think all the time. Exactly, exactly. Um, quickly, I seen I seen DJ Sly saying here, ask Rome about the details on him and Chili. So <laughs> <laughs> to make sure and get questions in. So, what's the details behind you and Chili, man? What's all the details? right, all right. So, Chili and I um had a connection when we went on the show. So when I went, uh, yeah, we um I, I was a bit apprehensive at first because I was a bit starstruck myself. I see in Chile, I see in Maya, I see in Lil Kim, and I, I grew up listening to their music and these are big Grammy Award winning artists. So your boy reaching there as this little parang man from Trinidad and Tobago, who they feel as though I'm working on the boat. So they don't know that I am actually an entertainer back at home, right? So they think I'm working on this boat all the time. Right. So when I reach there now, um, I realize like I have a, you know, sometimes you have a little click with somebody. So Chile and I had a little click. And um, we just started to talk. And I say, boy, let me chuck our foot. Yes, boy, I ain't going to be a Trini Red Man if I, if I ain't throw my hat in the ring. You had to chuck our foot. Yeah, I say, let me chuck our foot. And um, I did it. I did it. And I asked out on a date. And the date went well. And we, we got up. We had a, a genuine connection, boy. But then I realized that she is a person that has up a serious wall and i told her this in one of the episodes i was a great wall of china 
I right. don't know if it was like from her past relationships or what it was. I couldn't figure it out because I didn't have enough time. But she was a real nice person, but she was very, very religious. Um, she didn't drink alcohol. She didn't like partying. She wouldn't eat meat. And I was the total opposite. So I was a party animal and she was a very reserved one. Right. So because of our differences, we started to clash a bit because I would go and drink and I would tell her, come on, take a drink now again. And she'd be like, no, that yeah. is juice. And so <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really, yeah, yeah. She was like, you gotta cleanse yourself. And it was a bit much. So I told you, I was like, you know what? We will both agree that we will just remain friends. Right, and, right. Because this will be bacchanal. Between the two of us, it will be a bacchanal. But, but how much of that program is actually scripted? And how much of it was actually real life? So I get this question a lot. Reality TV is not scripted. Well, that show for sure is not scripted. It okay. Is, yeah, it is. It is. You wake up in the morning and you roll off your bed, you brush your teeth and you have a camera in your face. Wow. Actually, when you go to bed any night, you don't know where the cameras are either. So the, and they are in control of the lights. So if you feel you're going in your bed and sleep, you're going to lie down in your room. And the light will remain on until they take off the light. Was that was that uncomfortable for you? Because again, here we have the Trini guy, second body poor nanny, right? All of a sudden end up on VH1 the chili and all these stuff. <laughs> we are custom, I think as much as we are custom of being transparent in Trinidad and Tobago, we mm. still like some level of privacy. So here you are now with a camera in your face, so you can be doing whatever, and you just wake up to a man watching you with a camera, was that uncomfortable, or is it something that you mentally prepared yourself from before? I, I wasn't prepared for it, and right. it was a bit of a shock at first, but within a day or two, you get used to it, because the camera's just always there. It's not like you're seeing a camera. It's like the cameraman is across there, and he's shooting, but you're not even... Your conversation's just on the flow. You're not really taking them on. After a while, he just become like what you call like background noise or, or background music. It's just like there. And you yeah. never like he's like an ornament. He's just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have one of these mics all the time. So they hear everything you say throughout the whole day. So you could say, boy, chili, so and so, so and so. Yeah, but what they would do though, I will tell you this, this is a little insight into reality TV. Right. Because your mic is always on. The producers always hear what you see. Right. And um they now could set up a scenario based on what they heard you say. So let's say Shamari on the show, and Shamari and his virgins talking about this girl named Susie. And they say, eh? And so Shamari really likes Susie, but you didn't realize they're listening to you. you know, you tell her I'm virgin now and not lose. Right, what right. you do now is they will call her out of her room okay. and tell her, hey, you know, go in the kitchen and get something for me now. And then they will call you out of your room and say, hey, and leave something in the kitchen, go and thing there, and they will end up putting you all in the same room together and they will film and see what happens. So, in other words, reality TV is creating bacchanal. That is they really. can set you up, they can set you up, they can right. set you up for bacchanal. We will set you up for bacchanal. All right, <laughs> and it's, I don't know because for the longest while, I think to myself, yeah, they scripted you know, like he know what he go and tell her from beforehand, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know. But, um, I'm glad you actually clear up that point. I'm very glad you clear up that point. Um, the last thing I want to get into, which Again, goes back to Elijah Atelier, going and use it. The diversification of Jerome is the biggest asset to being the personality known as Jerome. Mm -hmm. um, of all the things that you do right now, is there one thing that you enjoy the most? Whether it be a, a wedding host, whether it be a radio announcer, um, acting, 
producing because now you're, you're, you're in the production process um, from a video standpoint of things. Of all the things that you've been able to do now, is there one part of it that you consider like the most important for you, the one you're most passionate about? The one right now that I'm most passionate about would definitely be the production side of things because right. I, I, with producing a TV show, it gets my creative juices flowing because now I had a map out how this show is going to look, who are the elements I need in it. I, I love that production because I, I love pointing. I always produce all of my music videos as well. So I love creating a story. On, on Boom Champions on 94.1, they call me the story god because yeah. I always have a story to tell. And since I was young, I was always great at creative writing because I love storytelling. And I, I grew up listening to Paul Skeens Douglas and he would tell a story. And I always feel as though me being able to tell a story is one of my greatest gifts. So yeah. if you watch back at a lot of my music videos, you would see that it's not only about fast cars and girls shaking their bottom in a video or whatever, or sexy girls or whatever. It will always have like a storyline to go with it. Yeah. I like telling a story through my music and through the videos itself. Even my parent is always, if you listen to these songs, is storytelling in music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. So I want to get quickly now to probably, as I said, the most talked about thing that's happening in Trinidad and Tobago and Carnival and, and, and the soccer industry and the entertainment industry the last couple of weeks. And that would be the state of events in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. Um, as I said on the platform last week with Voice, and I've been saying it even on Clubhouse, and you guys, we're going to be doing a Clubhouse um, collective tomorrow night. I'll get to that after. Um, Second Star Show was the most important thing to Carnival to happen in a Carnival-less 2021 for the year, right? Mm -hmm. um, so coming out of the show, there were a bunch of different issues that developed. And even though I would have known about the association before, there are a lot of people that were made aware that there's now a Trent Tobago Promoters Association, which to me is something that many people, if you knew about it before, would have known about it. But again, I guess coming out of the concert last week, um, there was a, a greater limelight shone on you guys, um, especially as being spokespersons for entertainment. Mm -hmm. So for anybody here, especially people locally and internationally, who may not know about the Trinidad and Tobago Promoters Association, um, what is the Promoters Association? What is the function of the association? So the Trinidad and Tobago Promoters Association is a, a group of, of entrepreneurs, of businessmen and women who hold culture there to their heart. So, I mean, we are known as promoters, but we are event specialists as well. So yeah. these promoters are the ones who put on most of the fets and most of the events for carnival and beyond carnival. So we talk in the tribes, the Scorches, the Caesar's Army, the, the Initiate Novelty, the Randy Glasgow's, the everyone that you could possibly think of that throws an event in Trinidad and Tobago, most of them are part of the Trinidad and Tobago Promoters Association. So we represent now as an association, we are a body of entities. So when you see people come out at Second Star and Empire, Ken Sambury, he's actually a member of the association and they were a part of that Second Star um, show where we have to step up as an association to defend one of our members. And that's what an association is about. It's about a body of people uniting under one collective effort right. one goal one motive one mission and you, you unite because if we left one person to stand on their own there's strength in numbers 
Yeah, so that's where the association comes. And now we also have a lot of guidelines and rules and regulations to help to make sure that the industry is a regulated one. Right. Um, now, I made sure to contact a couple of people within the industry um, to let them know we were having this conversation tonight. Mm -hmm. And also to kind of gain from them what was their opinions of the association. Um, and it was a very polarized conversation, depending on who I spoke to. Um, one of the challenges that was expressed to me by one individual is the fact that being an event specialist or being a promoter in Trinidad and Tobago is a very competitive field. Mm -hmm. And it's a field where, okay, um, Rome might be doing his show Saturday, I do my show Sunday, somebody doing the show, whatever, whatever. And because of that, limited resources and because of the fact that you want to keep your event fresh there is the belief that that competition has prevented growth of the association and some of the members um feeling that um the association represents them properly do you think that that is an issue that may be taking place in the association right now and what as the president you think could be done to improve that feeling by members in the association. Right, so I, I do feel so myself in that this industry that we are in, in terms of the event industry and the FET industry, being a promoter, as you said, is very, very competitive. And what you have here is a group of people who have a lot of big egos and they get very competitive with one another, right? So what the association is, is not one way, all right, we are trying to make everyone love each other and hug up and sing kumbaya, you know. But <laughs> what the association is there for, as I said, is to be a regulatory body to make sure the industry follows certain guidelines. Right. So that we want to have some kind of protocol that everybody on that level playing field with. So if we're moving through a pandemic, the association will step forward and say, listen, guys, okay, we are moving through a pandemic. Here are the guidelines on the COVID-19 regulations within which to operate your event. We're not saying you don't want to compete against this one, you know. Both of y'all compete. But these are the guidelines that we need to follow to ensure that COVID-19 does not spread as a result of any one of our members having an event. And that's where we come in as an organization and as an association. Also, what we will do for the association membership, we are there to provide liaison in between the authorities and the promoters. Because what you don't want is that every promoter now having to run to the police to find out something or run to, to, to fire or run to the government to find out something when it will apply to all of us. So even though we are competitors, we will all need to know what are the stipulations by the government for COVID-19. So instead of the government telling everybody individually, they could tell one and then we share the information to everyone. Right. Same with the police, and that when we had that meeting with, with the commissioner, that's what we did. We have a liaison between the commissioner and the promoters, so all the promoters will just pass it through our liaison and get their police for their virtual events, and that's what the association there for. Right. I just saw uh, Mikul just asked, um, how many members are part of the association, and how long is your presidency of the association? Right. So we have over 40 members and it's growing daily since the, the event, the second Sunday event, and we came out and had the press conference. Every day we have had new members come and join. So I don't know the exact figure now, but I know it's over 40 members um, who all through most of the events in Trinidad and today. My presidency came into effect, I think it was in November, we had elections. So right. in November to now. So only two months. 
So, so then another issue that came to me, which is something that I, I have myself um, concerned about, um, is that an association, to some extent, with membership, you want to be able to have a benefit of being part of the association. Mm -hmm. And we've seen in the last couple of years, especially when it comes down to events, that the rules continually and consistently keep changing from the authorities. Mm -hmm. So, and you probably would notice, um, one year, you have an event, your event have 100 people, the police tell you, okay, we're going to have 20 police at the event. The next year, same 100 people, you know, well, here we're going on, you have 200 police and you have to pay them twice the amount of money and XYZ, whatever, right? As a body, one would think that with the association, the power of the association, because to my knowledge, you guys have um, who are, I would say are probably the, the elites, if you want to call it that, of, of entertainers in the country. There needs to be some level of strength in numbers that the association could actually be able to get set guidelines from these people who are considered the gatekeepers when it comes down to the different aspects of entertainment, where it be security, licenses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the feeling I've, I've gotten from just talking to a couple of members is that not enough is being done by the association to address those matters. Do you agree with that or do you see that as a work in progress? What's your take on that? So that's one of the biggest challenges that we face as the association. And that's one of the biggest perks that you will see will come out of being a member of the association is because if you decide to fight the police or any of the authorities on your own as a promoter, you're fighting a losing battle. So there's strength in numbers. So as an association, if we come together as a body and say all of us in this industry are affected by this one issue, now we have a case. And we do have a case. And it has already been discussed with the authorities and it is a work in progress. But there are certain things that you can't reveal all the time to all of your membership is that things are being done in the background. I mean, COVID-19 put a damp on it now because there are not any events. They don't have any events like that magnitude anytime soon. But we could definitely tell you that coming out of this pandemic, we will resume where we left off in terms of that discussion with the authorities in having the correct stipulation, as you rightly said. And not only that, what we're actually working on is a formula for the authorities to be able to assign a police strength or a fire strength to the event based on a number of factors, let's say, including your square footage, the area of the event, the number of people, the type of the event, all of these things come in. And this is where my engineering comes in, because when I develop this, I developed it based on a risk matrix that we use in engineering. Now I could apply it to events where you could see what is the risk factor of your event um, in a matrix. And if your risk factor is high, it will make the, the authorities have to assign more police. And if your risk factor is low, then you'll be assigned less police strength because you can't just do it based on um, just your venue alone. But is this in terms of setting standards, which I guess is the, is a really important thing that I want to come out of this conversation? Because one, one of the important things I want to come out of this conversation is that we actually have a level of accountability and something as a, a plan of, of, of action with reference to go forward. Um, and I was having this discussion with Adam, um, DJ Adam again, that a lot of times in these little chat groups that we see coming up on social media, Everybody mm -hmm. has great ideas. So everybody talking about this, that, the other. But what are we doing now to formulate these ideas and actually turn them into actionable um, plans that are good, that is going to go forward towards benefit of the industry? The mm -hmm. reason why I ask that question 
is because again, Trinidad is the land of ideas. Everybody have an idea. A man want to, a man want to do this. A man want to do that. A girl want to do this. Whatever. But how are we taking these ideas now into actions? So even security being one part of it, is it that there are discussions with the members about different aspects of entertainment and different aspects of event planning that no standards could be developed that will be worked with alongside um, security and all the service providers when it comes down to doing an event? So all we can do as an association is guide our members. So we can't force you to follow um, the guidelines that we set out. But what we could do is that if we feel that you are in breach of the guidelines that we recommend and you don't um, stand up as, as, a, as a proper member of the association, we could may ask you to leave in, in a case like that. Um, so in terms of following certain protocol, we will, will more guide and advise than, than force someone to do it. In terms of standards for an event, every event is different. So you just have basic guidelines within which to follow in terms of all the items that you would need, the licenses, the um, permissions from cut, all of those things you will have to get. So we could just give you that basic guideline. But do you think that those gui those things that have been set up right now are fair to the current, to people doing events in Trinidad? Because you and I know this, we've been involved in events for a long time. And it just seems like licenses appear out of nowhere. And even if they don't appear out of nowhere, sometimes it's seen as unfair. And this is an issue that we actually have as DJs, where we've been talking for a while about having a DJ union that will represent um, DJs um, on, a, on an array of issues, which is something that is challenging to get around because individuals will always want to sell themselves in a particular way. And we spoke about the competitive nature of it. By the same point in time, do you think that right now the different set of um, laws and, and issues that go into events are fair to promoters? And what then can the association do to ensure that it's much it's it's, it's treated at a particular level of equity, or they are given the, the leeway to do things a little bit more than what exists right now? Right. So we don't think it's fair because even when you look at the police strength, Shamari, you are event promoter, you said you would have done events, I did events, I still do events. And when you go to, to the police, when you go to the court to get your bar license and then get your dance hall license, they would assign a police strength based on the recommendation of the sergeant or the person in charge in that area. And they kind of use that, they could never give us what formula they use to calculate the strength. And as you said, last year maybe one figure maybe the exact same venue with the exact same number of people and you may get a different strength. And that is an issue that we have brought up with the authorities. We have spoken to the commissioner about it. And we also have something in the books with that. And we have a lawyer on board who is dealing with that. So a lot of the things you would not just come out and make noise about in the media. Some of these issues need to be tackled from a legal perspective. So as an association where you, Shamari, may not be able to fight the government personally, with something like that, as an association, that's where you have the strength of a legal team that will be able to tackle those issues on your behalf. And everyone who is part of the membership will be able to benefit once those legal proceedings happen. Right. I just saw a question from Ms. Watson. With new members now joining the association, when the association was conceptualized, was an invitation extended to the wider stakeholders of the industry, or was it a small, popular subset at first? 
Right. So how the association was founded is that you had a certain number of promoters who knew each other and decided, you know what, we're going to start an association. And they started inviting their friends who they knew were promoters, and that's how they got our start. As it grew, the invitations went out to anyone. So right now, the association is open to anyone and everyone that throws an event. If you have an event for the year, we actually invite you to become a part of the association so that you could get all of the benefits of being part of this one unit. So in the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the biggest perks we have of being a member of the association is that liaison that we have with the police. Because a lot of event promoters now are afraid to have events because they are afraid the police come and shut them down. But right now, if you are a member of the association, once you join and you let us know you are having your event, we take your event, you send an email to the police service, to our liaison in the, the service, and they would know, okay, we have an agreement with them that all you have to pay for is one officer for event, and that's it. And they would send the officer to make sure that all protocols are in place, and then you don't have to worry about your event being shut down. Yeah. So there are a lot of different perks like that in joining the, the association and it's not closed off to only an elite group of people. But we have groups of people from all walks of life who are members in the association who do dancehall events, who do chutney events, who do soccer events, some people who do weddings, some people who do corporate events, some people who do soccer fets. It's different, it's variant. So it's not only a, like an elite or, or a friends thing. No. But but you do understand the 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 challenge that exists in that of being an association that represents in many ways what it will be com com competing brands and there being a thought that okay um and i don't want to call any particular brand but if brand um ca if everybody understands where i'm coming from i'm just joking but you know but if brand ca is doing an event and you know ca is considered um the the <clears throat> the big boy in, in terms of all the, the the event coordinators or whatever, whatnot, that there would be some particular level of benefit going to that person more than individuals who are now trying to still develop their brand um, and do events during the course of the year. And it speaks to as well where the association goes in terms of aligning itself with understanding where the industry is going right now. So for example, um, you guys would have known for a little bit from before that there was no carnival in 2021. Um, was there a plan developed by the association where, okay, let's meet with our members, tell them we know it have, there's no carnival. What as a membership could we do right now to ensure that CA and Rome and whoever else, um, Zale and whoever other promoters might exist, um, what could we do now to encourage our members to be able to do events, to access funding, to give training to people right now to be able to do a proper virtual event? Is that something that was seen and done by the Promoters Association, or do you think that that probably is a gap that may have, should have been filled at the point in time? All right, so let me start. That's a, a question with a lot of different parts. Let me start off in terms of the, competi the competition aspect of the membership. Every sure. association would have competing members. If you watch the supermarket association, the bar owners association, the manufacturers association, they are all members of an association, but they are all competing with each other. Some may be competing in the same area, some may not, but they are all competing at some point in time. Um, so when it comes now to our membership, yes, we are competing, but we all under the same umbrella in terms of the industry that we are in. So moving on to your, your point in terms of 
Did we know that there wasn't a carnival? It was, let me see how this to put it, boy. The goalposts were shifting all the time. Right. There was talk of no carnival, then there was talk of there might be a carnival, there was talk of a localized carnival, there was talk of virtual carnival, and the goalposts kept shifting. So we were always adjusting every week. So what I did as president is that I broke up the association into subcommittees. So we actually have a subcommittee called the Event Recovery Committee, and then we have a subcommittee called Virtual Event Committee. So the Virtual Event Committee, they were in charge of making sure that the association membership, and we extended it to all members, and in terms of your whole CA or, or BC or whatever the case may be. All members were afforded the opportunity to join any of these subcommittees and they could be a part of it, whether you're through one event or you're through 10 events. And I myself, I only do two main events, which is Parang with Room and Big Bad Block for the year. So I'm actually one of the smallest promoters in the association and I'm the president. And I went up for election just like anybody else could have gone up and I was elected the president. So coming back to it now, you have your subcommittees. So the virtual subcommittee, they were planning for virtual carnival and they, they did that. So we have a lot of our members who are having their virtual events. And from the subcommittee, we issued our guidelines on what to do for your virtual events. So then we have the event recovery subcommittee now, and they are actually in charge of making sure that when events resume, we follow particular guidelines. Like in the second Sunday event, we actually use that as a model event moving forward to have a hybrid between virtual and live events so that we could have events moving forward even after carnival where people can have concerts at napa at queen's hall comedy shows all of those we have membership brandy glasgow's a man he's having his comedy show a vinda winer boy he's having a cultural show coming up so it's not only carnival stuff and we provide for all the membership so it's not a matter of the big promoters benefit more than the smaller ones all the promoters are allowed to use any of the benefits of the association yeah, and I, and I want to say uh, on this point, I want to plug this one time that tomorrow night um, at 6.15, 6.30, let's say 6.30, sorry, at 6.30 tomorrow night, um, we're starting um, Clubhouse, uh, we'll be on Clubhouse Live, um, Collective Conversations at Clubhouse, where we're going to be delving into this issue. We're going to have a couple of promoters in the conversation as well. I know if we'll get a room because we're not in the book for tomorrow now. If, you were, <laughs> if we were in the book, we might have yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, tomorrow. Book. But at, at, at the same time, I invite you guys to follow me on, on Clubhouse at Shamari Carroll because tomorrow night we're going to have a couple of promoters in the conversation discussing this issue. Um, and we, we're willing to hear a lot of different points of views on it. Um, so if it is that you're an event coordinator and you're hearing this right now and you have a point of view, um, we really would like to hear from you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. on Clubhouse tomorrow night. Um, is there anything right now when it comes down to the Promoters Association and just the events landscape in total that you are hoping as a president you could improve or change going forward? Yeah. I, I definitely hope that we could come to an, well, right now, in terms of this pandemic, I'm really hoping that we can revive the entertainment sector, even during the pandemic, where it is financially feasible for the membership to have events, because now it is very difficult with the 50% capacity that the venues allow to hold for a promoter to even make any money. And a lot of people don't realize that these men who throw these parties and throw these events they, they do this for their livelihood and they have children to feed they have rent to pay they have mortgage to pay 
and you just kind of threw them to the wayside. I mean, the government came out and they gave grants to a lot of different sectors, but nobody even considered the entertainment sector in terms of the promotion side of things and the number of people that are employed by the sector is over 100,000 people are employed by the entertainment sector, the um, event sector in Trinidad and Tobago. So I really hoping that we could kickstart the um, event industry once again during the pandemic to the point where it is financially feasible. But, but, uh, but mm -hmm. sorry to cut you off, and um, I'll let you finish your point. But I want to just get this question quickly because you mentioned funding. Is that something that a member of the association can come to the association for? I mean, if you have a successful event, and again, we're looking for accountable ways going forward. If you have a successful event or you are a new event organizer or you're somebody that does an event every year and you're looking to get support from a particular financial um, stream, whatever that might be, um, a sponsor, whatever, whatnot, do you think that in the association right now, there exists enough unity that people can actually help individuals now be able to find funding for events. This is not saying Rome go and give you money to your party, eh? <laughs> but but it's saying that by your um, connections and by the collective power of the association, now you'll be able to to access certain things that you may not have been able to access on your own. So right, so that's one of the perks of being a member of the association. So we don't have the money to give you funding, but what we can do is direct you if you're looking for sponsorship. So that's the benefit of being a new member. So if you're a new member and you're a man. Now train parties for the first time, I don't even know how to go about getting corporate sponsorship. We have a, a network of, of promoters that can help you with that and tell you, well, here what to do. You go into this company, this is the brand manager that deals with, with sponsorship. Here is the contact. Well, if you are not a member and you now train a party for the first time, how are you going to know which company to go to that sponsors first? Right. Um, and who to go to, what email address to send it to, who to follow up or call with, you wouldn't get that. So now if you're part of the association, you're part of a network of individuals that could guide you along that. Because even when brand managers change, we would put it in a group. So you might get a, a message saying a certain alcohol company changed brand manager and so, 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 and this is a new brand manager. And then oh, everyone is aware of that. So we as an association know who's a new person to go to when we look into sponsorship. Okay. All right, and I want, to, I want to quickly go back to your point of you said the two things that you wanted to improve now as your president. Um, what was the second thing? The next thing I, I, before my presidency is up that I hope to result is that whole issue with the, the police strength, the fire strength and all of that. I think that is my baby in terms of the one thing that I would like to achieve and i like to see implemented is that there is a proper formula that is generated where Shomari, when you are planning your event, you know how much police they expect. That yeah. another, what the pro big problem with it that people don't realize too is sometimes we get our license the day of the event, the yeah. morning of the event, your court case might call, and then you have to go and get it. And then you are surprised with a police strength when you already sold tickets to your event, you already spent marketing, and now they jam you with a high police strength. And what are you going to do? You have no choice. Is that they cancel the event? and suffer the losses or you pay the strength and hope that you sell more tickets to cover your cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so but, I try to eliminate that so we know exactly how much they expect moving forward. But do you think even with the current state of virtual events right now, let me be real, is it beneficial or profitable having a virtual event in this current climate? Because look, second Sunday happened two Sundays ago, 
one week later, Rome had to go and meet with the commissioner. Because everybody in the country right now is operating saying, well, you know, people studying party during COVID, which mm. I really, really, I really disagree with the, that, that conceptualization. Because as I said before, it's an industry that employs so many different people. And for one person who may think that Rome is just a man going and sing, for somebody else to understand that this is his livelihood of being involved in entertainment, you understand? So I really wonder what, if any, is there any great benefit right now to get in this virtual space for a festival season that is has been always geared to people gathering and enjoying themselves together in our fete and in our party. You understand? It, do you think that it can be profitable going forward doing virtual events right now? Right. So, so you have two ways of, of being profitable in virtual events. One is your relevance as a brand. Because you're going through a pandemic. It is this month where March would make it a year. And then you're going into probably to the end of the year before events can actually really open up again. We don't know. Right then they vaccinate the whole country. It may take close to the end of the year. So are you as your brand, as an event promoter, as an event specialist, going to stay dormant for two years? Are you going to not do anything? And then after the two years of you being dormant, when you come back after the two years, do you think that you still can capture that audience that you captured two years before? without being relevant at all for that period, you may or you may not. What about the people who are remaining relevant and being in people's faces? They tend to be the ones who would be able to capture the audience. I'm sure next year, second Sunday is going to be ram out because everybody and the tanti knows about it now after the, the media coverage that it got. So are you going to remain dormant or are you going to remain relevant in a period in time like this? That's one way of profitability. So right. you won't lose out financially. Let's say you put on an event and you, you get your sponsorship or whatever, but you, you lost $20,000 and putting on the event. You would see that now in terms of a $20,000 investment in marketing for your event next year, which okay. will generate an even greater profit because so many people heard about your event now that now everyone is rushing for tickets next year. Right. The other way we see profitability and being part of the virtual world is that you can actually make a profit if you put on an event and you get the corporate sponsorship from the event. Right. So with me, with my Parang with Room concert, it was a successful event because I got the backing of corporate Trinidad and Tobago to back me and, and, and put on the, the concert. Like it was the biggest concert for the Christmas season in terms right. of Parang. And it was successful for me financially because of that. So you can make money in the virtual world. Now with the hybrid events, you could even make more money because you could have the patrons that are paying and you can get your corporate sponsorship and you can merge the two. Right. It is going, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but it's definitely going to be difficult because everyone is now fighting for corporate sponsorship versus the patrons because we can't fill a venue with patrons anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say that corporate Toronto and Tobago did step up and they spent millions of dollars behind virtual events so far. Just look yeah. at that um, Ansa McCall one yard concert. That yeah. costs a pretty penny to do. Yeah, correct. correct. I, I think that there needs to be a culture shift um, as we look at events um, and understand that it's people's livelihoods and not just about partying and winding. I think for the average person, they're going to look at it like that um, because probably they're not as intimately involved in it as people like you and I maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do um, is over the next couple of months, especially as you're the president now, 
I think there needs to be some kind of campaign developed that lets the general population understand that the entertainment um, sector is an actual sector where people live off of it. Um, because I remember again, last week with Voice, he told me that he went to speak to a couple of kids and they were telling him in the, in the um, when he went to the school, they asked him, so outside of singing, what else to do? Because they could not connect that, yo, this guy as an artist is what his livelihood is. Mm -hmm. And there are many people, even older people in the country right now, that don't really understand that there are people as creatives who have taken up this lifestyle to, or taken up this life to be their career. And they don't see the benefit in it as much as you and I may see it. So I think that is one thing I want to challenge you as the president of the association mm -hmm. over the next year too. But I will say, that in talking to some some of the members, <clears throat> there are some contrasting issues when it comes down to the promoters association. And I do believe any second thing I want to challenge in is that those issues need to be ironed out because it's strength in numbers, as LeBron to say. And at the end of the day, if it is that we don't have that strength in numbers and there are people not buying into what the promoters association um, is going is supposed to be doing then you're not going to have the power to be able to accomplish some of the things that you want to accomplish on a broad scale, if you understand where I'm coming from. So as I said, I really wanted to get your, your opinions on this because it has really been um, very polarizing in the discussion with people about the Promoters Association. But I still do think that something like this is needed right now in Trinidad and Tobago for us to put a particular level of professionalism when it comes down to event management. Instead of just being a promoter, but being somebody who is into event coordination and that kind of stuff, you understand? And I don't know, I think that that is something that as you as the president, because you've identified a couple of areas that you want to improve, I want to kind of challenge you to do that over the next year. Because if anybody could do it, Rome could do it. And why could Rome do it? Because, as I said, the diversification of Jerome is the biggest asset to being the personality known as Rome. If you, being a mechanical engineer, a guy from Arima, right? Just the fellow we used to lime in Yui, who I showed that picture with before, could not become an entertainment ambassador for Trinidad and Tobago. It means that the vision and the systematic planning that you have to certain things can be injected in something like this right now, where we could see a holistic benefit of everybody else. And that's something that I really, again, we are about accountability on the show, because we want to see actionable things coming out. So I'm not too sure if by saying these things, if these are things that you could see yourself working on in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that we could get going because that's why we started that with the press conference. So we put together a press conference last week, Friday, to address that exact same issue because we felt as though the government wouldn't, they wouldn't see the, the Promoters Association as a, a viable sector and as a viable revenue generator for the country and a viable contributor of foreign exchange to the GDP. And we had to, to let them know that we do appreciate that they facilitate carnival, don't get it twisted, in that the government does put on events in terms of NCC events, but the major part that they play in carnival is the facilitation of carnival, because if we be real with ourselves, the tourists that come to Trinidad and Tobago, they really do come to attend the events that are put on by the members of the Trinidad and Tobago Promoters Association. Correct. I'm not throwing shade at the government for their events, but if we really being honest with ourselves, 
if you ask the tourists that come here and ask them what they came here to attend, it would be to be in one of the big mass bands. It would be to attend some of the big fets that happen during the week. And it would rarely be to attend one of those other events. And that's what you need to take note of. So when you see, I think the average tourist that comes down here spends around $11,000 outside of airfare and accommodation. And that money comes back to the country. And it, we are the ones who bring in the people here right. for carnival. And because of that, we think as though we need a seat at the table when it comes to making decisions in the entertainment sector, in the carnival sector, in the event sector, because we are one of the major stakeholders in the industry itself. So on, on the final question before we wrap up for the night, um, are you then extremely disappointed that the National Carnival Commission has decided not to do any virtual events for the carnival season? And is this something where, because it's, it's too late now, but is this something where the Promoters Association, and I'm talking about all the promoters in the association, all the members of the association, is this something that you guys could see you could make some inroads in into 2022 because my 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 personal belief is and again this is my belief not rome's belief that we have plenty elderly people running these these organizations that are responsible for business in the country and they are not seeing the long-term vision based on where we are right now the technological development of the world right here we have guys like you and many other promoters and many other event specialists out there who have great ideas that, yes, you're doing it for your own personal events, but what is it going to do right now to boost the culture and the, uh, of, of the country in total? And now we're seeing multiple events not happening that are important in the fabric of Carnival of Trinidad and Tobago, and nothing is happening with it. So I don't know what's your take on that, and if it's something that the Promoters Association could do or could look at going forward if other powers that be are falling short. I had a partner who, who joked this week and called me Captain Carnival. Because <laughs> that way. I feel as though I have on a cape and I am here to save Carnival and I am here to, to, to teach people about Carnival. Now, but, I, I, I don't pay any captain, any captain Carnival position, but at the same <laughs> point in time, you remember before we started, I say you're the president. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I am. What it is and why people will refer to me as Captain Carnival is that I'm really passionate about the culture of Trinidad and Tobago. And in terms of your first part of the question with NCC, and if I was disappointed, I was really, really disappointed. Yeah. Because I felt as though when the government announced that there was no carnival, I felt that they considered carnival as only the two-day parade. Yeah. They didn't consider all the different elements that make up Trinidad's carnival and that make us unique and that separate us from all the other islands that would even have a carnival. Because if you look at all the other islands who would have a carnival, they don't really have all the elements that we have. They mm -hmm. usually just have a parade, and they will have a couple of fets that lead up to their parade. But when you look at Trinidad and Tobago's carnival, it is so diverse. You're talking pan, you're talking panorama, you're talking stick fighting, kaisu, extempo, um, damn Lorraine, the king and queens of the, of the mass, there are so many different elements that make up our carnival. And I felt as though this was a year that we did not have a street parade and we are not asking for a street parade. But what we were saying is that now you could have showcased all those elements of Trinidad and Tobago's carnival to the rest of the world. 
So that when Carnival 2022 or 2023 comes around where your borders are open, the tourists that come here now would have a variety of events that they could attend and that they could be interested in. Because yeah. not everyone out there is interested in coming and take a part in the parade, especially yeah. the more mature audience. They may not want to put on those costumes and go on the street and, and wine and jam. They might want to come and sit and watch an extempo show and be entertained or go to a stick fighting or go to something else or go to the panorama or whatever but they wouldn't know about this unless we showcase it to them and i would travel around the world and see huge billboards of barbados or antigua yeah. or some places and i don't see any of trinidad and tobago i would watch game shows where they would give out a prize on prices right and say and you just want yourself a trip to barbados or jamaica yeah jamaica. <laughs> Yeah, but where is the Trinidad and Tobago? We don't yeah. really see that, and yeah. I feel as though we don't market our country as much as we should. And there are so many different elements that we could have showcased now in this virtual world that would have reached much more people than the physical carnival reaches because yeah. our physical carnival could only accommodate so many people. We already yeah. maxed out. If you all don't realize, Trinidad's carnival is maxed out. Yeah. You can't get a flight to come here and you can't get accommodation to come here for Trinidad's Carnival, the week of Carnival. So yeah. you're at your plateau already. So how are you going to maximize this even further? Using yeah. virtual world, now you have to come up with new, new unique ideas how to maximize this thing further, how to generate more income and stop plateauing. And yeah. that's where you need to have, and as you said, some of the younger people, I mean, are not bashing the, the more mature folks in the business, but we are here to help. Yeah. You do know about this virtual world. We know that. A lot of people don't know about this virtual world, but you have people who do. Bring them on board and let them guide you into how we can market this thing and reach millions more people, millions of more people. Yeah. I, I think that that's is, that is probably the best, you know, thing that we could close off on free night because, again, we have a lot of innovation. A lot of young people that want to do things, sometimes not even just for the money alone, but just to show that they could showcase the talent. Mm -hmm. And we are not giving those young people enough opportunities to be able to do that. And as I said, we're not bashing the older ones in the industry um, because we have respect for what they've accomplished. But at the same point in time, one of the biggest problems that we have in Trinidad and Tobago Entertainment is succession planning. And we don't really know how to encourage individuals with great ideas who are younger than us to come in and bring those ideas to boost the culture and the economy better mm -hmm. because we feel that somebody coming to take we work as we like uh, to say uh, uh, that's one of the biggest things that you know we have to improve one of the things that we have to improve as a nation especially when it comes down to um the creative industry and the creative side of things and again that is one of the main reasons why, for me, the Creative Collective podcast is important so we can share these ideas and these values and people can get to understand individuals in a much more holistic way, as I like to say. But um, tomorrow night, as I said, Rome, we do have Rome in the diary. We're not in the book. But 6.30 6 tomorrow night, we're going to be on Clubhouse discussing everything coming out from this, this point of the conversation. Um, and I know it's pretty late, so I want to uh, just wrap up right now because obviously you have to be up for what 5 a.m. 5 a.m. to go onto the radio in the morning. So I want to really thank you for the time tonight, brother. Um, again, I was just looking at the comments a while ago, and there were some things that people said they really didn't know about you. 
you know? So it's actually good that people could actually see a different side of you other than the poor nanny and other than the radio announcer and the guy that we see on TV. Um, and I just want to encourage you to continue doing your thing, continue being creative, um, continue making people happy because I realize that that is something that's really important to you as an individual. And yo, um, I really appreciate your time tonight and we definitely will pick up on something like this again soon. Yeah, right, man, no problem. Thanks, bro. This has been the Creative Collective Podcast hosted by Shomari KRL.